1: You see, God does not have to fix what he created. He simply has to redeem it.
0: That's Pastor Michael Oxentanko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast with Pastor Mike is entitled The Scroll with the Seven Seals, and we'll bring you the first portion of that broadcast here today. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org video. That's reachinghearts.org video. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenco with today's message entitled The Scroll with the Seven Seals.
1: The great theologian. I say great because he's great to others. I don't think he's that great, but he had something to say that has affected us here. The great theologian Soren Kierkegaard once wrote, Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. We understand the past when it opens up to us with clarity through reflection Of the past, when we look back, we consider it in the flow of time, we see a flicker of what can be, and so the future and the past become an organic whole, and we are in the middle, caught between what was and what will be. It is really understood when the future becomes clear and there's hope for a bright tomorrow. That's when the past makes sense. Friend, before the cross of Christ, there was a book in the hand of God who sat at the center of the universe, holding a mystery that no one could unlock but God. The entire history of the universe was a mystery without a future that could not make sense without a hero to guide the future into a glorious tomorrow. A scroll with seven seals was written on the inside and the back, and no creature in the universe could read what was on the inside because the book was sealed with seven seals. Now we've learned in our study that the number 7 represents completeness. That means no one could open it. That book was finished, it was complete, it was sealed. And only God could see what was written on the back, but no creature could see because all they could see were the seven seals. Before the cross, it was a book that no one had ever read because the book was just too hard to read. It was a book that no one could open because no one was worthy or strong enough to disclose the contents of the book. Without the cross of Christ, Life in a sinless universe, because that's how it was before evil came, was a story that could not be reasoned as right and worthy of a plot with a purpose for a selfless future. Without the cross of Christ, existence, not living, but existence, was a plot going nowhere that could not be pondered in a meaningful way or understood by anyone other than God. It was a mystery. And without the cross, the mind of God, The very mind of God, the eternal mind of God, was a closed and mysterious history of a struggle between good and evil without an outcome that could not be defined as moral without a hero. An outcome in which God is moral and God is worthy of worship without reservation forever. This was not clearly understood. You see, it's not enough to say that God is God. The solution to our problems is not to end atheism only. It's not enough to know that God exists. Unless God is a good God, worship isn't worth anything. And we waste our time coming to church. And so the book was held in the tight hand of the one who wrote it and who knew its mystery. And there was no creature found worthy to open the book in all the universe. The book of Revelation begins with a plot that could not be pondered and a story that could not be studied because the book that mattered most was closed to everyone but God. Now this is the setting for the cosmic question we find in Revelation 5 and following. Revelation 5, 1, And I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Here's the question, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seven seals or its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And then John records, and I wept much that no one was found. He was weeping at the throne of God. The open door of heaven had led him to a closed book, and he was weeping that no one, it says, was found worthy to open the scroll or or to look into it. As soon as God's throne is introduced in Revelation 4, with all its majesty, with the four living creatures, with the 24 elders, with the flashing seven torches of God, the cosmic throne room, the storm of God, we see the paradox here in chapter 5 of a closed book. The entire drama of Revelation has led us through an open door into the presence of God to a closed book. As soon as there is an open door in heaven, we have the disappointment of a closed book in Revelation 5.1. It's not enough for heaven to be opened if there is nothing up there to be found. It's not enough that there is an open access to God if you come to God and you discover that the mystery is so great and you cannot understand God. If all there is to heaven is the mystery of a book that is closed, then heaven doesn't mean much if it's opened at all. And that is the paradox we find. And so a strong angel, who wasn't strong enough to open the book, asked the question, who can open the book? Many scholars have debated the identity of this two-sided book. I'm not going to go through all of them, but for some it's the book of redemption, I think. For others it is the Old Testament, which seems to be a closed book without the coming of Jesus and the cross more recently, some believe that it is the book of the Great Tribulation that is still future, yet open to our understanding if we know prophecy. Some see it as a book with God's dual plan of judgment and redemption. Others see it as a testament or will which names an inheritance to be received in the future after the death of the Messiah. I mean, the list is long as to what people believe this book is. In Revelation 11, 19, one of the very important verses in the book of Revelation, which shows us that there is a throne of God in heaven. And that that throne is identified as the ark of his covenant or testament. Now a testament would imply that something is written perhaps in a book. And the list goes on. And we know that the throne of God and the ark of God are equivalents in the book of Revelation. So if you have an ark of the testament or an ark of the covenant, it would imply that there is something written there at the throne of God. For our answers this morning though, let's interface with the Bible to find the meaning of the scroll with seven seals. The book described in Revelation 5, one has five essential characteristics. Let's look at them together. Characteristic number one, the book was positioned in, the Bible says, or at, it could be translated, at the right hand of the one who sits upon the throne. The Greek can be translated as by or at the right hand, as I have said, of the one who sits upon the throne. So it's not in the center of the ark, it's kind of to the side of the ark. In any case, the scroll is positioned at the right hand of God, which would seem would represent the side of power and authority in the universe. Exodus 15:6. Now here we have the very first time in the Bible where it introduces us to the right hand of God. It is the song of victory after the children of Israel have come through the Red Sea and the Egyptians have been destroyed. And so the song breaks out, thy right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, thy right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Now there's no missing the significance of this verse. It teaches us that God's right hand is the hand of authority and power. The right hand is the place where the scepter should be held, and it represents the power of God to destroy his enemies. If you mess with God, his right hand is strong enough to destroy his adversaries, When God came down on Mount Sinai, we find that at his right hand there was a mysterious fire. The Bible says fire was at his right hand. Deuteronomy 32, verse 2. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the 10,000 of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Now, the New King James Version is a little closer to the Revised Standard Version. It really reads closer to the Hebrew. Here's what it said. From his right hand came a fiery law for them. So the idea of a flaming torch and of the law of God being one at his right hand. Now it's significant in the Old Testament story. When God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 verse 17. That the Lord himself passed between the parts of a divided calf or bull, and other elements of animals to make a covenant with Abram. And when he did so, it's very clear that a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the parts. It was God the Father and God the Son manifested in holy covenant for the future and for Abram. I would suggest to you that the smoking fire pot, which was hidden mystery, represents God the Father, and the flaming torch represents Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 10, the Bible is very clear that God, the light of Israel, become a fire and his holy one a flame. And God's holy one is Jesus. There is no one brighter, there is no lamp in the universe that is more brilliant than the fiery presence of Jesus. So from his right hand came a fiery law for them. Curiously absent from God's hand, here is a scepter. We don't see him with a royal scepter in his hand. We see a flaming torch. We see the law. We see the bright and brilliant presence of something in his right hand. Psalms 110 verse 1 is the most quoted verse in the New Testament. It describes the ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of God. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Psalms 110 verse 1. Now this verse, more than any other, captured the essence of the Christian faith after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. David here prophesying says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit in my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now this verse is quoted in Hebrews 1.3. It says, Christ, after having made a purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. And so we see that Christ ascended to God. He took his place at God's right hand. He sat down because his work was finished until the enemies of God would be fully annihilated. He was to stay at the right hand of God. Now in the Bible, a scroll can be a flaming scroll like the one described in Zechariah 5, 1-4 that comes from God and it goes into the house of the unbeliever who does not want God and it consumes evil in that house. And so we have the paradox in the Bible of flaming fire of a scroll of a law at the right hand of God, and then we see Jesus at the right hand of God. A scroll is no doubt the Word of God in some way. In John one one, the Bible says, "...in the beginning was the Word." And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to say, "...the light shines in the darkness." and the darkness has not overcome the light. Jesus is the word of God that is the light of God, the fire of God, the presence of God, that is at God's right hand. And the Bible is clear that Jesus is a fire and a flame. When Jesus returns in the second coming, the Bible is clear that he will shine in the glory of his Father, that he will come with the holy angels in flaming fire. And so we see no contradiction. What happened at Sinai? The presence of the fire at the right hand, The presence of the Word of God at God's right hand and the presence of Jesus at the right hand is no contradiction in the Bible at all. So let's summarize. Instead of a scepter, we see God sitting on His throne in Revelation 5. We don't see some external rule. We see him holding a scroll. There's a book sealed with seven seals representing God's power and God's authority and God's word. But it is a mysterious and sealed book that no one can open and no one can discern its meaning. Characteristic number two, the book had writing on the inside and behind Some translations say on the inside and the outside, but the Greek is very clear here. It literally reads on the inside and behind. So if you're looking at that book with seven seals, all you would see are seven seals, but there was writing on it, but it was only seen on the other side, the side that God could see, and on the inside. What is the significance of a book that is sealed? Isaiah 29 verse 11, and the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to the one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, and what's the reason given? For it is, what does it say? I cannot read it, for it is sealed. So a sealed book would imply you cannot read the book, am I right? Yes or no? Okay, very good. How many of you like reading sealed books? You like reading sealed books. Well, I can't read a sealed book. Um, it's interesting, when you buy an e-book online, has anyone here bought a book from Amazon.com? The nice thing about an e-book is that it exists in a cloud. Do you know that? But when a book is locked in, if there's a security code that says you can't unlock that book until you pay for it, it's like it's sealed with seven seals. So a sealed book would imply it cannot be read. Characteristic number three, the text says the book had been written and it had been sealed. And the key phrase is it had been the, the Greek in both instances is a perfect verb, meaning it had already been written. It had already been sealed for a long time. This book was finished. This book was a done deal. This book had already been completed, and it had already been written, and no one knew what it was. That means its writing was complete. Whatever the purpose of the book is, the book was something that could not be added to.
0: Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxen-Tanko in today's Reaching Your Heart.
1: That means the scroll with seven seals was not an afterthought in God's plan. It means the scroll was not a book in development where the story could change in the writer's mind. The scroll with seven seals was a finished book. And it was a complete and final work a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And there it was at the right hand of the one who sat upon the throne. So instead of a scepter, we find a book that cannot be opened by anyone in the universe but God. Characteristic number four. The book was connected to the throne of God. Now in the Old Testament, God's throne is the same thing as the Ark of the Covenant. Exactly the same. The covenant in the Old Testament was written down. It was written on stone. On sapphire tablets, God wrote the Ten Commandment Law. Deuteronomy 4.13 makes it clear. Characteristic number five. No one was found worthy in the entire universe to open the scroll with seven seals. According to verse 3, there was a search made throughout the cosmos and no one was found in heaven or under the earth or in the earth that could open that book. That means there was a cosmic crisis. There was no hero who could lead us into the future. There was no hero who could explain the past. There was no one strong enough and God himself would not do it. Someone had to take the stand, take the book and open it, but no one was found. In the Old Testament, we find instances of books that were written on both sides that seem to add insight as to what is happening here. Turn to Exodus 32, verse 15. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tables of the testimony in his hands, tables that were written, what does it say? On both sides. On the one side and on the other they were written. Now we know what happened to those tables. They were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the throne of God. The covenant law at Sinai was written on both sides. So the tables were taken from the throne of God, from the sapphire throne of God, and they were placed in the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the throne of God. So both sides would imply the concept of completeness. Nothing was left out. Exodus 2, verse 8. Here we have another instance. But you, son of man, speaking to Ezekiel, the prophet, hear what I say to you, be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, and behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and lo, a written scroll was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing, what does it say? On the front and on the, the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning. woe. Now this matches very closely what we see in Revelation 5. The book in Ezekiel represents God's words given to the prophet that will become judgments for his covenant people who have rejected his law and spurned the covenant at Sinai. In Exodus 10, 1-4, these judgments proceed from God's throne as coals of fire upon the rebellious city of Jerusalem. And so the word of God becomes a flaming fire that judges his adversaries. Again, the judgments of God in the book of Ezekiel come from a book that is written on the front and the back. So not only is the book a book that was written on both sides, in a sense, it is also a book that is located in proximity to the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's throne. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a book that was stored in the side of the Ark, and it kind of matches what we see here. Turn to Deuteronomy 31. Let's look at verse 24. The Bible says, When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, And look at verse 26. Take this book of the law and do what with it? What does it say? Put it where? By the side of the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God's throne, by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may be there for a witness against you. Again, this matches the picture we see in the book of Revelation. The one who is sitting on the throne has a scroll at his right side in his hand. So the ark here again represents God's throne. So Moses took a copy of the book of Deuteronomy or the complete Torah or the covenant, whatever it is here, and he placed it in the side of the ark as a witness for God's people. So in Revelation 3.14, what does Jesus claim as the title? He says, I am the true witness. And in Hebrews 1.3, the Bible's clear that Jesus has taken his seat at the right hand of God. So again, the imagery would connect us to Jesus in some way. That's where the book is. That's where Christ is. It is a witness. He is the true witness. So what happened to the book of the covenant after it was placed in the side of the ark? Where did it go? In the book of Deuteronomy, the provision was made for a king when he ascended the throne to take a priest to help him, to ask the priest to give him the law so he could make a copy of the law so he could be a good king. A king could not do it himself because only a priest could enter the sanctuary. Uzzah tried to do it. He tried to walk into the presence of God. He was struck with leprosy. It took a priest to go in and get the book, and a king was to make a copy of this book. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18. And when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law from that which is in the charge of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. So in the book of Revelation, the scroll is in the hand of the one who sits upon the throne. Instead of a scepter, the king of Israel was to rule with the authority of the law of God at his right hand. He was not to use an iron rod. He was to use God's word to rule. His will and God's will must merge in the rule of God's people. God's word must become the thoughts of his mind, and the heart of the king must be an extension of God's holy word. So in this sense, the king became an extension of the scroll that was in the ark. So at what point did the scroll with seven seals become a book that was finished and sealed? At what point in the past was it a complete book with no more to add to it? We have a clue in the book of Genesis. Turn to Revelation 13, verse 8. Here's the clue. The Bible says, "...and all who dwell on the earth will worship it, the beast, the world kingdom system, everyone whose name has not been written where?" What does it say? "...before the foundation of the world..." in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. There is a book that goes way back that is a finished book, and if you're not in that book, you're going to get sucked in to the end time deception that's coming upon the world. In the book of Revelation, the book of life is called the Lamb's book of life, and it was complete at the foundation of the world. You see, the Lamb of God has never been an afterthought. Jesus has never been an uncertainty in God's plan. There is in the mind of Christ the future that can unfold, and if you belong to Christ, you have always belong to Christ. In Revelation 6-1, the Lamb is the one who opens the book. You cannot separate the book that is from the foundation of the world from the Lamb of God who died to save the world. In Revelation 19-13, Jesus has the name, the Word of God. And from His mouth there comes a fiery sword. Both of these are at the right hand of God. John says the book was finished from the foundation of the world. Seven seals draws the mind back to the seven days of creation when God finished all His work which He had made. Turn with me to Genesis 2, looking at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Thus the heavens and the earth were what? Unfinished. Is that what it says? Thus the heavens and the earth were a work in motion. Well, maybe we can say it like this. Thus the heavens and the earth were evolving. Does it say that? Finished. And all the host of them. Now, all the host of them means everything that could be Everything that is was done when God rested on the seventh day. You see, God does not have to fix what he created. He simply has to redeem it. Sin has not destroyed the holy plan of God. It has not called into question the ultimate sense in God's mind. The fact that it was finished in the mind of God, in the mind of Christ, on the seventh day when they together finished the work, there was nothing more to add. And on the seventh day, God finished his work which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. You put that together in the book of Revelation, it's very clear. The promise that the Lamb of God would come, the promise that Jesus would come, was not an afterthought to deal with sin. It was something that was there at the foundation of the world. The Lamb's book of life was complete on the seventh day of creation. There was nothing left to add to the will of God that could see into the future, that would grasp every saint that would be a part of his eternal kingdom. He knew, and Christ was there.
0: That will conclude the first portion of The Scroll with the Seven Seals, today's broadcast with Pastor Michael Tanko, and it is reaching your heart. Join us again next time when we conclude this broadcast. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland.